0: Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Well, I'm here having a chat. We're having a good old-fashioned chat with Miss Laura Jo Gunter. How are you, Laura Jo? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm going to start with thank you for coming back on the show, and I want to congratulate you on your new role as the seventh president at Nate.
1: Thank you. I'm also the first female president at Nate.
0: Oh well, that's even that's even more exciting. Well, congratulations twofold. And you, when do you are you have you started there officially yet? Just to give everyone, we're just at the middle of July here. So, have you officially started yet?
1: No, I'm still the president of Bow Valley College till August 23rd, and then I officially become the president of Nate on
0: August 24th. And the sad side of it, we are losing you from Calgary. You're moving to Edmonton, which you know Calgary. I want to bring us all the good people here, so I'm sorry to hear that. But you're staying in Alberta, so that's a win as far as I'm concerned. <laughs>
1: Yes. And, you know, I I am staying in Alberta and I'll be in Calgary a lot. So there's a lot of meetings in Calgary. So I'll be back. And when Stampede comes, I'm keeping my boots and my hat, so I'm expecting invitations to come down and and party at
0: Stampede. (laughs) It's a it's a very short drive, and I hear if you are really pressed, you can take the. I have a lot of friends that do the Edmonton Calgary trip, and they said the Red Arrow, which I'm not a I'm not a big take the bus guy, but I've I've been told by a lot of people that it's great, and you can work the whole way and back. So if uh, you know there is easy ways to get back and forth between the two cities, but we're here to talk today about education, and it's a topic that's been on my radar a little bit. I think COVID has maybe brought it to the. It feels Like it's brought it up more onto the the top of the news cycle in terms of like disruption. So, maybe just talk a little bit about your experience over the last kind of four to six months and with COVID. And we'll talk about maybe education on a broader scale, but how has things been changed for you guys in the world of of post secondary since the start of COVID?
1: So, since the start of COVID, so I'm going to talk uh, particularly from the uh, Bow Valley College uh, point of view. So, it was interesting because COVID really hit hard in March. If you remember, things were kind of ramping, 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 and then all of a sudden, it became a thing. So we looked at it, and the post-secondaries pretty much took a week off. So the whole system pretty much took a week and suspended classes and then came back pretty much virtually. And to be able to, to move that many faculty, staff, and students into an online remote environment in a week's time by the system is nothing short of phenomenal, just phenomenal. And it was a really interesting because uh, there were things that we had to really think about like how to make sure everybody had proper equipment at home, uh, how to move people off campus quickly and efficiently. Um, how to uh, engage with our students, how to have student services online, everything from counseling to financial aid. So it became a really, really big deal in terms of how quickly we had to move. So that that was really an interesting um, component of, of the move. And I think the system and I shouldn't. I, she who is part of it and shouldn't say it, but honestly, we all deserve a big, big round of applause and congratulations for all that hard work.
0: I appreciate. I, was that? I'm curious because a week sounds almost. It almost doesn't even sound doable. Like that sounds phenomenally fast when you talk about not just from a class perspective, like of being able to like the teacher and the student, but the whole ecosystem that is the school that has to support that. Was this something were you guys working on it? Was it was was it like in a prototype phase or you know? Obviously, I know that's a lot of online distance learning, but it feels like you already had to be well down that path to be able to pivot that quickly. Well,
1: some people were down that path, so you know, Athabasca probably you know was the farthest down that path because they are an online institution. So, mm. you know, this was directly on their wheelhouse. Uh, for both Valley College, um, it was interesting because we had a number of uh, programs already online. So, uh, the the previous um, administration there had decreed that. Um, courses, uh, the, every course that could should have an online uh, equivalent. So okay. that was really helpful in the sense that we were able to pivot, particularly in areas like business, because we already had a number of our courses with an online alternative. The other was that uh, we had been doing some phenomenal work with our practical nursing program in China using MS Teams. And okay. if, you, if you can teach to another country in another language, something as complex as nursing theory, for example, using MS Teams, it really helped us with our pivot because we had some expertise from the IT and the faculty side on how to do it. And uh, Microsoft was so impressed with the work that was done that they actually um, had us do, or the faculty members do, a uh, webinar on use of MS Teams for remote learning. So we had a number of things that were in play that were set up. And we were quite lucky because uh, we didn't have the number of labs that some other institutions have. And I think if you were running anything that was highly technical that required you to be on Mm -hmm. campus in order to do it, so things like trades, uh, a lot of those technical programs where you have to be in the lab to actually touch the equipment, um, culinary, that kind of thing. Okay. It's, it really, um, that was, that's where the real issues are going to be because you actually have to be physically around to be able to complete those courses. So there has been some reentry to help students complete, but it was not, uh, but that part is being very, very carefully orchestrated because you have to keep people so far apart and protected.
0: Right. And those often, those labs are like, those are hands-on environments where there's close interaction. Like the teacher, the students, you're working in small teams, group, group settings to get a project done. It's so interesting because you think about, so from your perspective and putting it, just separating that one for a second, the labs and the hands-on aside, is this direction that education was already heading like, and did this just accelerate it? Or is it always, you know, were you guys on that lockstep of like, no, it's always going to be a balance of both? Like I'm always curious where COVID came in and accelerated three years and four months kind of mindset. Is that what happened? Or is do you see it always going to be a blended approach? Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's going to be a blended approach. I mean, I think it will depend on the institution as well. So um, let's use Bow Valley as an example. For Bow Valley, our average age of our student is 27. So, and a number of our students already have post-secondary. I think 25% already have some, uh, either have diploma or degree. And so, you have a number of students coming in who um, are there. They want a very, I would say, efficient, productive um, education, very compressed, you know, so they want a one or two-year program. They want it specifically at a career, and they're coming in. And so, and to get that education. So in a number of those instances, being able to offer something that has a lot of online components is really um, even more flexible. So it gives people a lot of of flexibility. So Bow Valley was already heading down the road for blended. And that was really, really good for, for Bow Valley. On the other hand, if you pick other institutions where you've got a younger group that 18 to 21, 22, there is an experiential piece of it that is almost destination-based. You want to go to school when you're 18, 19, 20. You want to go to school because you want to experience school, right? You want to right. experience um, not just what's happening in the classroom, but also experience um, your, you know, your social life sports, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think that there's going to be uh, perhaps more of a blended model, particularly in terms of helping students in that second category either catch up. So, if you, for example, failed a course, you could catch up over the summer and then Continue on for people who can't turn it into a
0: true advantage. Like yeah, here's a here's a better version than having to spend time. But you're right, the social side of it, and like a lot of those, I think back, a lot of those relationships are relationships you build for life at that time, at that 20 year old kind of school experience.
1: Well, exactly. And how many of us have met the person we marry at university or or polytechnic Mm or you know even in some cases college, right? Depending on how old you are when you went. So you know, there's a lot of of that. Piece where there's that's a lot of social interaction, so I think I think you're going to see more blended. I think you're going to see um, people still wanting to come to some campus. I think with programs where there's still a huge hands-on element, that they're going to want that hands-on experience because that's the only way. On the other uh, hand, I do think we're also going to be having a lot more uh, virtual reality simulation pieces uh, you, in those labs. labs you, you so my next that question. That yeah, so that you can um, do some things on your own, practice before you get to the lab. So we have more efficient use of, of our labs and our plants. You can, you you know, don't have to have as big an infrastructure build, for example, to accommodate lots and lots of students.
0: Because there's a lot of you know institutions that have a lot invested in their real estate. Their spaces, their campuses, these huge sprawling facilities. You think about, you know, I'm always curious how much we're clinging to a way of doing things because that's just the way we're almost the business is set up to operate versus what might be the future. And like I oftentimes see industries resist change because it's just not how they do business. It doesn't mean it's not a better yeah. way. I don't I don't know. When you look at education, I'm assuming there's pockets of that kind of throughout that hold it back while others are trying to move it forward at the same time.
1: Well, exactly. And, you know, it's complex because adult education is very complex. So, adult education spans everything from upgrading from high school, right? So, for various reasons, people didn't mm-hmm. finish high school, and now they need to finish high school or want to finish high school so they can go on to more post secondary. So, there's adult um, upgrading all the way through to um, your credential program, right? From undergrad, uh, diplomas, degrees, and then there's graduate and PhD, right? Your master's and PhD. So there's sort of that that academic um, track. There's also a lot of work that happens in non-credit as well, which is your continuing education. And in that field, I think we're going to see a huge change because um, post-secondary was treating con ed in a lot of ways, like having people come to the institution at night, for example, to do courses. Or, and there was a lot of movement in this area to do it more online. I think you're going to see it pushed even further to do more corporate training and continuing ed online.
0: Well, as the workforce is required to pivot so much in terms of skills, as new technologies are coming in all the time, that demand for always having to upskill, I'm assuming is like, that's only going to increase as, as the pace of change and the pace of the need to move from this industry to that industry, or even just adapt to a new technology that's coming into a role that I've had for a few years that I quote unquote have already arrived in. I can only, I would imagine that that's going to drive back because that's that seems to be increasing and accelerating everywhere you turn.
1: Absolutely. So, you're hearing people talk a lot about micro-credentialing, right? So, you take a small piece of a course and you get a micro-credential. So, I have the skill or this specific piece of knowledge. You're talking about stacking those um, and then they could potentially lead to credentials. So, you're looking at a v- variety of ways that this is going to change to meet demand. And I think the other mm-hmm. big change is that people are going to be want to be able to do this education while they're working. And so even some of the younger folks are going to want to do it while they're working because it's expensive to go. So you're going to see a far more of a, of a online remote presence to allow people to continue to work while to help pay for their education, because they don't want to come out with a lot of debt. I mean, you come out, if you came out with a lot of debt and then you've got to start affording housing, et cetera, et cetera. Right. It starts to really compound. So I think you're going to see some changes there, too, in terms of, of more work integrated learning supported by some remote learning, supported by some blended pieces, pieces at the uh, campus.
0: I like what you said. It just that sounds like a more practical approach, just to just to oversimplify it. When you think about cost structure and like the cost of education, and certainly in Canada, I think we're incredibly fortunate because we have a system that isn't like, you know, I have two nieces that go to school in the US, and it's a very different world there from a cost Mm -hmm. structure perspective. Do you see any and I, I was listening to CBC this morning and they were talking about tuitions not going down, but people feeling they should because it's online. Is there a risk or is there, you know, maybe just your personal view of we get so much free content online, there's an implication or sometimes it's thought that it maybe should cost less because of what's online. But yet quality and going to school is going to cost... Like, I don't know. Do you see the price structure and the cost? Do you see it being disrupted? Or does the reality of like good education cost money?
1: <laughs> well, good education does cost money. I mean, first of all, um, it costs a fair amount of money to develop really good content for online. Um, so that's not inexpensive. And you can still only put so many students in a class, quote unquote, you know, even if it's a virtual class right. with uh, an instructor or professor. So you're not saving on the cost of um the HR costs right because it, it's still the that you have to be present you still have to run classes whether you do it asynchronously or not but asynchronous mm-hmm. I know I can't say it asynchronous <laughs> or not um and so it, it's it's still a lot of work it's still a lot of human resources and it costs a lot of money to to develop those programs and keep them up right you can't just develop it and, and let it sit for 10 years because it'll go out of um, it'll time out. So you need to constantly upgrade. So it's not a cheap enterprise to do. And therefore, it's, it's you know, the cost of running this is, is not inexpensive.
0: It's interesting. You think, oh, tech- technology's come in, so your cost of running it is coming down. But just listen to you talk. There isn't, like, we can't just design this course and let it sit on the shelf for the next five years. You're constantly having to evolve that content to make sure it doesn't get, doesn't expire, doesn't time out, like you said, That's which right. is a constant, which is a constant investment. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, look at how much money, you know, professional companies, look at how much money a game company costs uh, to produce a, 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 a game, even a simple okay. game. Yeah.
0: Yes, but if you get into the AAA level games, like you're you know, you're in the millions and millions of dollars exponentially to create this kind of epic saga, <laughs> which that's is right. an education education is not much different, really, if you think about the parts and the whole storyline to get to the end.
1: Yeah. And maybe it wouldn't be quite a AAA game, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's not
0: <laughs> well, we're shooting, we're, we're thinking of we're thinking of the stars here for sure. <laughs> we're, we're thinking
1: of the stars, but it, it's it's just it's not inexpensive to develop that content, right? If you're trying if you're talking about mm-hmm. VR content, that's not inexpensive
0: no it's but it's interesting i love the ability to be able to bring people into i was working i had an interview with uh, Mogan smet who's got developing a new company and they've developed a program tied to revit which is a design development software where now anywhere in the world they can all meet virtually to tour the space mm-hmm. with an avatar and you pick your hat and you go tour the space and you know just talking about the game changing that that created for them but they invested considerably to get there but yeah. to see it and all of a sudden whether you're in dubai or in northern alberta you can both tour this virtual new Office based together, you know, and you plow that, apply that to education, that's incredibly powerful. But to your point, it's not low cost.
1: It's not low cost, no.
0: When you talk about micro credentials and you talk about like so much upskilling on the job, like I'm just curious, maybe this is my own ignorance, showing and asking this question. How do I like I get a degree or a diploma, I have that to show and say I went to school, I did this, I accomplished this. When you get into the world of of micro-credentials and and, and up talent, upskilling that way, how does how does the world keep track of that? Like how does that individual then be able to pull that with them everywhere they go to kind of show their level of accomplishment? That feels like a bit of a trick onto itself.
1: Well, we're working with TerraHub. Which is a Calgary company?
0: Oh, Dan. Yes, I had Dan on the pod. Yes, that's right. I knew. I forgot you guys were working with them. That yeah,
1: great. Dan. And uh, so we're working with uh, Terra Hub because there's a lot of potential with blockchain for you to be able to carry those credentials with you, right? So you can you can carry those micro credentials with you, and then you can um, display them on various other platforms, right? You could potentially display them on on areas like LinkedIn or whatever, whatever profile, or if you had your own website or whatever, you could you could display those micro credentials. Or if you were getting hired, you could put those into um, a company to show that you had those skills. I think that the biggest thing will be, um, and, and you're seeing this more and more in HR. Uh, there's more and more use of AI to scan. So what you would Uh, do then is you would plug in those micro-credentials that you are looking for in terms of both soft skills and technical skills. And then if you had those micro-credentials, you could scan through and say, oh, you know, uh, this person's really good at teamwork because they have a micro-credential in it. Or this person um, has strong communication skills because they have a micro-credential in it. The thing is that, that's, um, that's so
0: interesting because those are so, those are so the ones where you're interviewing. Oh, I'm good at teamwork. Well, are you really good at teamwork? Are you really a good communicator? Like those are so hard to quantify sometimes in a in an interview process versus having it actually credential. That makes me excited as a as an employer.
1: <laughs> well, you know, um, so. With the Bow Valley College Pivot Ed Initiative, uh, we've been working on uh, with a company called Mitros in Toronto, and they now have people in Calgary. They keep hiring people from Calgary, so that's awesome.
0: That's a really and, good sign. I like that. Those are, those are yep. good key metrics right there. I like those. Key <laughs> metrics
1: right there. And uh, what, what they've been, we've been working with them on is uh, developing um, these competencies, and then they develop out uh, the AI um, scenario where you can test things like teamwork by putting you through a scenario, and then it comes back and it measures based on your input. It's it's you basically are texting or emailing back and forth, but it's it's uh, it's really interesting because depending on your responses, you can actually they can actually parse whether or not you are being empathetic, whether you're a strong communicator, whether you um, answered the question correctly, right? So. It really shows that if you suddenly keep offending everybody on your team during the scenario, then maybe your teamwork skills need a little bit of help. And then they, then we can point you to the, to the content or potential courses to help you improve that.
0: It's like I always, whenever I was doing a course, I'd always, almost almost always, depending on the complexity, do the sample exam first, just to find out where my gaps were. And then I'd go focus on that. That was always my strategy. I love the, you know, hey, here's your area, but here now we're directing and giving you the opportunity to upskill in that very specific area where you might be fine over here. So don't invest time there. Focus on this.
1: Exactly, uh, so. And then you can actually prove it because a lot of the problem you have is that you've got this big course called... Um, you know, project management or whatever, but you don't really know how uh, well you maybe communicated or how good a team player you might have been. A fantastic project manager in theory, but then you know everybody hated you at the end. So
0: your team, your team won't work because sooner or yeah, later it's people working with people, right? Ultimately. Exactly.
1: So it's that kind of thing that that you you can then look at. So I think there's going to be a lot of of changes because it's. Uh, it's going to be a very competitive market, but on the other hand, it will give people a chance to actually practice those skills as well in a very safe environment. So I think you're going to see a lot of changes and AI is going to be everywhere. It's going to, there's going to be AI tutors. There's going to be AI pushing content to you based on how well you did on um, small uh, scenarios or quizzes, you know, and AI is going to help you um, navigate your way through everything from registration to qu- general questions you have about the institution, so there's going to be a lot of AI that's going to be popping up here and there as well.
0: What I'm hearing and underpinning, <clears throat> we live in an era of personalization. From the way we get our, the way, the way we have our car pick us up to everything is personalized to the way we want it. Hearing you talk about AI being able to filter the words you use, how you performed in a certain area, it feels like it's becoming a lot more about the individual versus just this blanket. Let's just use what you said, project management. But you got 20, 30 hundreds of people under there that all have different propensities towards different skills on the, so- on the soft side. To be able to personalize that, I feel you would be more engaged as the learner, but you're also going to come out the other end way stronger from a, from a skills perspective, from a value Absolutely.
1: perspective. Absolutely. We always do better and we always remember better when we practice whether, rather than when we hear the theory. That's why case studies took off in, in MBA programs, right?
0: Right. Because you, you actually had to beat it up and there was a deadline and you had to present and all that intensity made it very, very real, very, very very fast. That's right. You get a corporate environment like, oh, I've been here. This isn't even half as stressful as I got 20 minutes with three people I don't know to solve a major uh, an enterprise level problem and then present it to the group. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun when you say it out loud? <laughs> <laughs> When you think of all the technologies that we've touched on a bunch. Is there any that you would hold up? Where you're like, that's the disruptor, like that's the one that's going to. And I know maybe I'm asking for something that isn't realistic. but is it is it virtual reality? I've heard you say AI multiple times. Like when you think about education and even the world, like the business of education because it is a business, is there any specific technologies that you see playing almost more of a critical part if we fast forward the next you know two, three years? Let's not get let's not go beyond that.
1: Um, I don't know if there's going to be a technology per se, because AI has been with us for a while, like since the 80s. Uh, it wasn't great AI, but it was AI. Uh, and maybe even before then, I guess I'll ha- we'll, you'll probably have some people funny, oh, no, no, we've been working on AI since
0: whatever. I, I, had, I, a, I had a guest. He said the first iteration that you can actually say was AI was in 1957.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and the, and it's, it's
0: gone through every cycle of it's going to change the world. It didn't work out. And then finally yeah. we're in a cycle where everything's catching up. So well, I had a guest on yeah. and he kind of walked me through because I was very ignorant. I didn't realize it went back that far.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because things like natural language processing and vision and everything are are really, really hard to do. But anyway... Mm-hmm. Uh, So, you know, some of these technologies have been around a long, long time. It's always about the application, right? It's never about what, you know, once the technology hits a certain level of of being competent itself or being reliable, I guess is a better word, of being reliable and being useful and being, it it then is how am I going to apply it, right? Whether it's AI, blockchain or whatever, it's like, how are we going to apply it? And so... To me, the biggest piece that's going to happen here is that there's going to be far more on um, using things like AI and simulation to actually do more of the assessment piece. And the reason is is that there's a lot of work. There's a lot of talk about content, and there's some very specific content that you need to develop as as an institution because it's very specific to. The teaching and, and what you need to know. There's other content that there's all kinds of content out there, particularly once you leave post-secondary and you're doing that upskilling, reskilling, you get content everywhere, right? Whether you're watching it on YouTube, whether you're um, you, you're at lynda.com or linkedinlearningnow.com, whether you go to the library and get out a textbook, whether you learn it at work from a colleague, there's all kinds of ways of, of learning. And the biggest gap is how do I account for that learning? As you said, when I go to the Mm -hmm. interview, how do I know I really learned it? So, I think the big, big piece is going to be using VR and um, uh, augmented reality and AI to really look at scalable assessment. Because once you can scale the assessment and people know that you've passed some sort of test that basically says that I've got this skill and knowledge and that you can issue a micro-credential against that, then that will help people feel better about how they are hiring and how I am presenting my talents as a whole. This will be particularly helpful for anybody that needs to pivot in their careers or has to go through all those interview processes. So I think you're going to see a lot of that because people aren't going to want to return to school for a four-year program if they've already done a four-year program
0: also and you made an interesting comment of where they are in their cycle you know so i'm in my mid 30s my early 40s and you know i happen to be in calgary and the career that i had signed on for has you know almost evaporated under my feet the thought of going back and parking your life for 4 years it's just it's just not even realistic for some people like it's not even you can't even consider it as an option so how do you get creative and i know you guys have been working on some projects and there's some interesting programs coming to support that kind of that group, but uh, that feels like a pretty new phenomenon. That I think is going to like st- you read anything about the future. That's going to start happening more and more. Careers will just expire; <laughs> they'll just kind of no longer be viable. Mm-hmm.
1: That's right. And you you don't have the time or money. And if you've got two kids and a mortgage, you are not going back for four <laughs> years.
0: <laughs> yes, let's let's be let's be Brad Tax real about it, right?
1: <laughs> that's right. Sitting in a class with a bunch of eighteen year olds, going, "Whoa." <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but what's I think, happening with my life? I would see that right. as being a that, that could be a dark time, depending. Depending, well, I don't want to be a know, simplified, it could but, be
1: great too. I mean, if you want to go back, yes, it could be a lot
0: of fun too. It could be a lot. Well, of fun. if you
1: yeah. want to be an engineer or something, and you need to go back and do that, then you need to go back and do that. But you know, for a lot of other things, it's how do you capture this stuff and and move on. And and so I think there's there's so you know there's in education, it's always more than one market. It's the people who need their first credential, and typically they're younger right so their first credential typically younger but not always and then what do you do post that when you need to start to to work so th- it's sort of a dual piece of of how do you run down those tracks so it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting and and you know before we always pictured post secondary as something that you did when you were younger you got your first credential and then you went off to work and then Work somehow figured it out. You, It was all based on, on your experience. Now people are, you know, want different careers. They want to pivot and they're, you know, older or whatever. There's that secondary market of, okay, how do I, I do that based on all my life skills? And how do I move that to a different industry sector, for example, but retain and convince people that I still have these skills? Because if you're a great manager... You're often a great manager in different industries. I mean, I've worked all over and I've had various experiences and, and uh, you know, learned from each one of them. And, uh, and yet a lot of that's not captured
0: it's just there's still such this legacy of crediting someone for this extended period of time i've done the same career for 20 years and we used to put hold that in the highest regard where i like what you said and it's certainly been my my journey it's an accumulation of skills from different experiences that yeah. i think actually give me a lot more hey Wow, I've seen this before in a different world, but let's bring over what's the same and then let's analyze what's different, but I'm not seeing this for the first time because I've seen it, you know, quote-unquote before. And to me that makes for in a world of resourcefulness, problem solving, adaptability, that's pretty important, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's also important to to bring those to bear. I mean, you know, I think one of the other big things that's been a theme in education for a long time and is still going to become important is being able to be cross-disciplinary and giving um Students access or some exposure to things outside of their main discipline, because if you expand your mind, you often bring new thoughts and new ways of thinking to the industry that you're in. And, you know, you hear about these cross disciplinary teams doing research projects and that kind of thing. But I think you're going to see more and more of that in education as well. Uh, either through their work integrated learning experience or through some applied research experience or so on just just to be able to and, and it's been happening for years but i think it's going to become even more of a focus to give people that opportunity to to think about things differently
0: yeah i appreciate that solving the ability to solve bigger problems needs 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 different perspectives right that's right Thinking about education as an industry and as a, as an evolution of change, and you think of the last maybe fifty years or last five years, are we entering a period or are we already already in you know, it? I don't want to underestimate that things are changing. Like, is it is it is this like the renaissance of like change and evolution and growth because technology playing such a key role and which is going to change everything from the from the teaching experience to the students' experience to the business of of education? Or has this been a path that's we're already we're already on it? It's just accelerating because of technology. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think that, uh, a number of things have accelerated. I think COVID's accelerated it. It's, (laughs) you know, the technology has been there, but, you know, it's the, it's, uh, adapting and adopting, right. Adapting to and adopting the technology that, um, COVID has been really pushing, you know, we could have all done remote. We could have been doing this remote uh, meetings and and all that much earlier, but suddenly everybody's doing it because we have to because of COVID. Uh, When uh, this is all over, will we all still be doing this all the time? No, but we will now know that we can do it and we will be doing it. Same thing with... Education. I think you're going to find that that there's going to be far more of a demand for some some mixed modes, uh, so that people have more flexibility, particularly among the older students or uh, um, schools that have older populations. And also, uh, there's there's going to be some some drive in technology to be able to help people practice and and do it more before they have to go to the real thing. And I think that's going to be an improvement, so that when you're in your lab or when you're writing your test or when you're um, going out on your practicum that you've actually practiced before. So your, your chance of success go way up. And I think that's going to really help um, students really gain the confidence they need and, and perform better.
0: Well, always the question is like, well, how much experience do you have? If you can simulate that virtually and, you know, there's lots of research, the mind knows no different, right? If the mind has accomplished a task, even sometimes by thinking through it with not even doing anything, virtual reality takes it to a whole nother level.
1: Well, you exactly. Know, I don't you, know. I, yeah. Yeah. You can practice like game. The the In game theory, they actually say that uh, if you have played the game or if you've done the simulation enough, your brain registers it as a real experience.
0: Mm-hmm. I've been reading some stuff about that recently. Just about it's actually a, a book around the winning mindset, written by an Olympian, talking about the value of that mental practice of how many hours a day he would practice without actually doing the sport, and mm-hmm. he'd go in and his sport would be improved. And you, you've we've all heard those examples. And it's just interesting when you start adding in technology to it. You're, it's just like you're, at, you're like you're basically adding fuel to that fire of the brain going, oh, I've already done this multiple times, That's and a right. reduced risk, like you know, considerably more safety, more safe, often a lower cost environment. Whether you're talking about you know working in industrial oil fields, I've seen I've done VR where you're learning to do inspection of some of the oil and gas equipment without even leaving the office downtown. Like that's a game that's game changer when you think of the skills and you know how much more safe and more competent your workforce and how people are going to feel. They're going to feel better going on the job site themselves, which wins across the board.
1: Exactly, and these things are supposed to be realistic too, right? So that you're not like in a game environment; it's all for fun. Because I would hate to think I drive like I drove in some of those games, but anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've been occasionally been like, "Hey, Tyler, you're not in the video game anymore. Slow down, okay, Mister Race Car Driver." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I so, yeah, but anyway, that's another
0: story. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah, i run the other guy off the road just to see what happens. No, I can't. We'll, we'll try to play nice in the real world. So, if you think you know pie in the pie in the sky question, three to five years out, um, things that we might see in education that we're not seeing today, or maybe that you would hope to see as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm, three to five years out. And you a second to think about that.
0: No, that's okay. Yeah, I, know. I kind of threw that in. I, I snuck that question in at the end.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> we, it, we, it's it's funny because three to five years is is a close enough time period, but it's also far enough away that you know it, it'll be uh, interesting because the technologies are probably not going to take that big a leap in three to five years. I, I doubt something big is going to... I could be wrong, but I, I don't yeah. think it's going to be something really, really huge that comes out. I do think, though, that um, in three to five years with that tight horizon, I do think we're going to back to the fact that we're going to see more virtual reality and and more of that practice session and more students getting uh, work Uh, placement experience and and so on to be able to to hone their skills so that when they go out uh, into the work environment that they're actually ready to go. So there's been more and more of a pressure for students to come out of post-secondary fully productive on the first day. And, you know, before you'd, re- you know, you'd graduate me with a BA, you join the bank and they train you now and the banks still do a lot of training, by the way, a ton of training. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, now it's, it's, it, there's a, there's much more of a productivity piece. So I think you're going to see more and more uh, pressure on that and, and more and more ways of, of helping students get there and practice, as I said. So I think that's number one. Um, number two, uh, I think we're going to play a far more important role on the pivot side because um, as okay industries go up and down, uh, we're going to have to start to really realize how we can help people pivot. So as we talked about before, a bit more emphasis, not just on the people that are in full-time credential program, but also how can we be more effective in the continuing education side uh, is going to be big. And I think there's going to be uh, a real need to uh, have students who Again, and I keep coming back to the themes, I'm almost doing a summary. Of how. No, it's, it's,
0: per- it's perfect. I will say it, say it again, summarize it, yeah, put it on the list. Is, this is perfect. And then
1: giving those students a, a, a much rounded perspective to allow them to work on applied research projects or capstones or with, with other groups so that they actually start to think about things slightly different and get different exposure. And I think that's going to become uh, really, really important as well. You're going to see uh, more and more pressure being put on post secondary from some of the large. Um, companies. I, I was I was
0: curious if you if there's going to be more of that integration of this is exactly what we need and let's work together to make sure that those individuals will get there faster.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, there's part of that, but for example, Google was offering courses in IT for a, you know low cost, and then you could get a job. You know, then they had connections to help you get jobs and things.
0: Oh, okay. You see that. it as more of of a long side alongside or almost in competition, not to not to say that well, negatively, but yeah,
1: yeah, and like they're not offering like diplomas or degrees but they're saying here's the oh this is all you need right take these courses and off you go so i think you're going to see uh more and more companies kind of getting into that that field and and i mean it's already happened in the con ed side but in that Mm -hmm. ship sailed a long time ago but uh in terms of the competition because you know in in corporate Uh, training and so on, you can hire uh, private companies, private consultants, you can hire your local PS. You can go to school down the street or hire um, or -hmm. work with uh, your local Oh, secondary. So there's lots of different modes in content, but in the credential programming, um, I think we might start seeing more and more of that content leakage coming through and and using more of those resources and materials. So I think you're going to see that. And students are going to be demanding more of those open education resources um, so that they have access to more information. So I I really think that's going to be one of the bigger um, uh, changes in post-secondary is going to be far more experiential and far more uh, capstones and things like that to help students succeed.
0: Well, the practical aspect, the hands-on aspect, everything I'm hearing, the virtual, the ability to also scale, pivot, it, it sounds, I love the underpinning of everything that you've talked about. Technology is playing an integral role in how it's going to facilitate almost every level of, of, of point that you brought. Again, technology should be the accelerator, right? It's not, it's not an industry itself. It's an underpinning of everything of how, how we work. So it sounds like a very exciting time to be moving to a new position with a new organization on your front.
1: Yeah, I think it will be. I'm really looking forward to it. I'll miss Calgary and I'll really miss Bow Valley and because uh, it's a great institution. And I'm looking forward to joining Nate because it's also a great institution. So. And I'll no, let you know uh, how it's going. Maybe we can reconnect in a year's time and I can...
0: I, no, I'm going to put it in the calendar. The- a year from now, I'm going to reach out. Absolutely. That's right.
1: <laughs> Find out what's going on in Edmonton.
0: Yes, which is I'm. I've actually started a new series called Beyond the Echo, specifically to talk to people from outside of Calgary about their perspective, looking back in. Because let's be honest, we can all get in our own echo chamber from time to time, and that's. I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing, but I had a lot of guests, and I'm like, hmm, I'm hearing a lot of the same stuff. Let's go outside with people that you know obviously have a perspective and, and chat with them. One last question, and just, sorry, just I'm, I'm always one last question. Where does Alberta sit on a, on a national or global stage when you think of education in this province and the level that we perform at? Competitively, because there is, like, you know, people can go anywhere. You know, the world, like, right now we're a little bit limited, but otherwise the world has become very small and our ability to move around, maybe not with COVID. But where does Alberta sit, kind of, not even Calgary Edmonton, where does Alberta sit on that scale from your perspective?
1: Well, Alberta's got first class post secondary education. I mean, um, this is a province that really invested in post secondary, uh, really invested in it um, uh, in terms of making sure that people got access. education so there was a lot of of really good work um, in Alberta and there's some top researchers here absolutely top researchers in this province so um, we really have a world-class system I think we need to promote it more and we certainly need to look at bringing in a bit more um, international students to help with the population growth because, you know, Canada is stagnating. <laughs>
0: yes, and, we are. And if you, you read lots of articles on like that, that is not a tell, that's not an it's not a good telltale sign of the future when we're stagnating on that net, net new right. migration.
1: And and if yeah. you come in through school, then you, you know, you've got that natural bond because, you know, school is great for bringing people and developing community. So I think that, that uh, you know, from what I've seen, Alberta's really got a first class system. I mean, uh. And a lot of industry support. A lot of industry support,
0: which is which is so critical because that's the continuum, Absolutely. right? Of being able to take these 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 theoretical skills and then bring them into the quote unquote the real world and ultimately get a, get a job, be employed. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, would you say right now, from a percentage perspective, like we're 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 undercapitalizing on the amount of foreign uh, foreign attraction, foreign students we could bring into Alberta, taking COVID out of it, because I know that's put a little bit of wrench in everybody's well, plans. We, can,
1: but- we could bring in a few more, yes.
0: Okay, there's always room for improvement. I I, yeah. I I appreciate that. Without getting into it, Well, Lord Joe, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show again. If someone has, if you haven't listened to our first our first episode together, uh, you don't remember which one it is, but go check it out. It's on Collisions YYC where we talk a little bit more broad. But today to gain your insights and to allow you to, I really appreciate the. You know, you spent your life in this world and you're clearly passionate about it. And thank you for sharing. Well, thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. And best of luck with the new role. And I'm, I'm putting it in. We've got a date booked a year from now to have a follow-up episode.
1: Okay, perfect. Thank you.
0: My pleasure.